Brothers and sisters, I'm sure you would agree that one of the major roadblocks and hindrances to evangelism is the feeling of fear. We know what Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 says, that one commandment to Christ's disciples, which is to make disciples of all nations. And yet, fear can get in the way. Fear can cripple us from carrying out our evangelistic mandate. We fear what people might think of us. We fear what people might say to us. And we even may fear what people may do to us. We fear the possibility even of reprisal. Fear is not unique. In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, it reads this, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they might or they would be put out of the synagogue. Fear is real. And again, fear can cause us to succumb to an evangelistic paralysis. We become subjected to a state of evangelistic immobility and inactivity. I trust today that Jesus' words here in Luke chapter 4 or Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, will be helpful to you and to me. To give you a little context for this passage, if you go back to chapter 11 in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee for lunch. And while he's there, he pronounces judgments. He pronounces woes on the Pharisees, and the scribes for their sins. He condemns them for their pretense of righteousness, their neglect of inward purity, for spiritual deadness, for greed, for their murderous hatred, for traditionalism and ritualism. He accuses them of being obstructionists. They obstruct themselves and others from entering into the kingdom of God. He indicts them for the hypocrisy and for their pride. Imagine inviting someone over your house for lunch, and while he's there, he condemns all of your guests for their sins. That's exactly what Jesus did. Verses 53 to 54 says this, when he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Their hostility towards Jesus escalated. You go to chapter 12, 
And it picks up in verse 1. He, Jesus begins warning and exhorting and encouraging his disciples, his disciples who he was going to eventually commission to go out and disciple the nations, proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They're going to go out and be his gospel heralds. And so he wants to encourage them and to exhort him. And his words were not not only instructive then, they're instructive to us today. Verse 1, it says that thousands were stepping over one another to get to Jesus. And he says, beware of the leaven. The leaven is figurative for a corruptive evil influence. In this case, it's the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. It says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be, not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. He's warning against religious hypocrisy, and he is saying eventually religious hypocrisy will come to light. Right, We've seen that throughout history, religious hypocrisy coming to light, whether it's sexual immorality, sexual infidelity, infidelity, greed, materialism, love of fame and reputation, that which is temporarily concealed becomes unveiled. Jesus says, either in this life or at the day of judgment, God is going to unveil all hypocrisy, all duplicity. Doesn't matter if you're a low-profile or a high-profile religious leader. He's going to unveil it all. Verses 8 and 9, he says, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Jesus' disciples then and today must be willing to faithfully confess Jesus Christ amidst threat to life and threat to livelihood. Must be willing to confess Christ and not deny him despite the social and the external pressure or demands to do otherwise. Look in verses, uh, verse 12, he, he says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit It will not be forgiven him. He warns the disciples against sacrilegious blasphemy. If you, again, look at chapter 11, you see in verses 14 and 15, and he was casting out a demon and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, to attribute the obvious Evident work of the Holy Spirit to Satan is unpardonable. Finally, verses 11 through 12, back in chapter 
12, he tells his disciples, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And that's exactly what happened. If you look at your in your own time at Acts chapter 4 and 5, when the apostles go before the Sanhedrin, which is a Jewish high court, and being the scripture says, being filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to preach salvation in no other name except Jesus Christ. And then they are threatened, and then they say in Acts chapter 5, we have resolved to preach Jesus Christ no matter what. <laughs> Their opponents said, these are untrained and uneducated men. Didn't matter. They were empowered by the Spirit of God. They were, their words were unrehearsed, unpremeditated. It didn't matter because the Holy Spirit supplied the word for the hour. And Jesus' messengers, he's preparing them because he's going to send them out and they are going to be met with murderous hatred. They're going to be persecuted, they're going to be arrested. They're going to be beaten. They're going to be brought before Jewish and Roman authorities. They're going to be tried, and most of whom are going to be killed. And throughout history, for over 2,000 years, that's been the testimony of the Church of Jesus Christ even on today. So these passages particularly verses 4 through 7, but this entire passage is really in the context of preparing his disciples to face opposition and persecution, whom he's about to send out as his representatives. And it's instructive for the church of Jesus Christ today. It is timeless truth. It is universal truth. Wherever the church of Jesus Christ finds itself, this passage is instructive. And in verses 4 through 7, his message centers on the prospect of fear. Fear. So let's see Jesus' first exhortation in this passage. And the first is this. Don't fear those who kill but are powerless to determine eternity. Don't fear those who kill, but are powerless to determine eternity. Look again at verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, right? So he, he warns his 12 disciples about the leaven, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders earlier in the passage, and he promises that all things done in secret will come to life. Hypocrisy will be unveiled. And now he says, I say to you, his words are forceful and his words are emphatic. And then he says, my friends, right? He's not talking to the masses. He's not talking to the thousands of folks stepping on one another. He's talking to the 12. And he's talking to you and me. 
These are the ones he's going to send out to make disciples. They're going to have to go out, proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it says in Luke 24. They're going to have to go out and preach Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen back to life on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, as 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 say. And they're going to go out. They're going to be viciously maligned. They're going to be physically assaulted. And nearly all of them are going to be killed. And Jesus knows this. Later in John chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus is going to say this to his disciples. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And what are Jesus' words to his friends? Look back at verse 4. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that, have no more that they can do. Don't fear them. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Of whom? Of those who kill the body. Well, who are those? Generally speaking, that's anybody, really, right? Since the fall in Genesis 3, all humanity has the capacity for hatred and for murder. You see the first recorded murder in Genesis chapter 4. But more specifically, he's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes and historically all the opponents to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his messengers whom he sends out to preach on behalf of his name. You look ahead in verse 11, says... Right, that when you when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. He's making a prediction of what's coming to pass. This is the testimony of the church of Jesus Christ. They're the ones who are going to kill Jesus. In fact, Jesus made countless predictions that his enemies would kill him. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. But not only will they kill Jesus, they're going to kill, kill his followers. Matthew 24, 9, Jesus said they would deliver them over and kill them because they'll be hated. Luke eleven forty nine. 49, Jesus foresees the murder of his prophets and apostles. You look back at chapter 11, verse 49, for this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and some of them they will persecute. But broadly speaking, brothers and sisters, it's not, excuse me, it's not just the apostles, it's not just the Pharisees, it's not just the scribes, it's not just the, the Roman authorities. It is all the enemies of Christ, all the enemies of Christ's church throughout all of human history. Those who kill, they're the emissaries of Satan, they're the disciples of the devil, the enemies of Christ. They're going to kill Jesus, and yet he's going to rise on the third day. 
And Jesus says, look back at the verse, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Don't be terrified of men and women because they can kill the physical body. They can end maybe your temporal life and existence, but they are powerless to determine your eternity. They're not sovereign over hell. They're not sovereign over your souls. According to Matthew 10, or excuse me, 20, 28, they're not sovereign over eternally. At best, they are impotent men and women. They can kill the outer man, and that's where it ends. They are limited in what God allows them to carry out. And see, this type of teaching may be foreign to us. This is hard for us to grasp on American soul. Part of the reason is because in America, the church doesn't even position itself to be potentially threatened or abused. Right? We, we bask in the, in the culture of comfort and comfortability. We don't position ourselves where the threat is. But, but what if one day we were to take the gospel to gang members? Proclaiming the prevalence of sin, the reality of judgment, the repent, the necessity of repentance. How do you think gang members might respond? What if we were to take the, the gospel to, to drug users, drug dealers, and prostitutes? And people began turning from addiction and turning from prostitution to Jesus Christ on account of the gospel. How do you think drug dealers and pimps would feel about that? But we won't know that, won't we? Because we don't position ourselves where the threat is, where the gospel is need, needs to be proclaimed. See, the fear of man will silence us. The fear of man will prevent us from fulfilling our evangelistic mission in the world. The fear of man will cripple us from being vocal ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. The fear of man will hinder us from boldly testifying to the saving power of the gospel. The fear of man will force us into a state of spiritual paralysis. On the other hand, brothers and sisters, if you mobilize and get a group of Christians who are unafraid of the enemy's threats, unafraid of the possibility of death, there's nothing in the world that the church of Jesus Christ can't do. If you don't believe me, look at the book of Acts, and you see how that small band of apostles turned the world upside down. See, we, we've yet to realize our full potential as a church. Not because there's anything great in and of ourselves, but because greater, great is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Remember Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3.20? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. That's not just a prayer to be spoken. That's a prayer to be acted upon. Of course, there's the, the possibility of threat. There's a possibility of, of death and assault at the hands of men. We live in a sinfully ravaged world. Absolutely. 
Listen to Jesus' words, John 7, 7. Jesus said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. You preach repentance for the forgiveness of sin, you better be ready for a backlash. Jesus said, John 15, 18, and 23, if they hate you, because it's because they hate me before you. And if they hate me, then they hate my father also. 1 John 3, 15, Jesus said, everyone who hates is a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, brothers and sisters, when the church is boldly obedient, Jesus' words are not out of the range of possibility. In the fall 2018 publication of Southwestern Seminary's Steadfast publication, there's an, there's an article titled in it, The Passion for Reaching Lost Souls, and it's written by Alex Sibley. And the, the article features the seminary professor Carl Bradford, and he teaches evangelism at the seminary. And the author of the article recalls when Professor Bradford went out evangelizing with members of his local church. And this is what the author of the article wrote. Dr. Bradford did not realize the man had a gun under his shirt. In New Orleans several years ago, he was evangelizing with his church, and he noticed several men sitting in the back of a truck. He spoke to one of them in particular, introducing himself and stating his purpose. We're going throughout the neighborhood wanting to let people know what Jesus Christ has done for them, the professor said. Do you mind asking, do you mind me asking if you are aware that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, and if you were to die today, do you know for sure where you would go? The man looked at the professor, stood up, and raised up his shirt, revealing a gun tucked into his pants. He said, you just come up to me talking about religion and God? What would happen if I just pull out this gun and shoot you? Without a moment's hesitation, the professor answered, if you kill me, I'm going to heaven. But if you get convicted and get lethal injection, where are you going? The man sat back down. Speak your peace, he said. The professor shared the gospel, but the man did not accept Christ. Hours later, after Dr. Bradford returned home, he thought, what was I thinking? I could have been killed. But he found solace in the scripture that says, when followers of Jesus are handed over to kings and judges, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. That's Luke 12, 12. So I believe that the Holy Spirit just prompted me to say those words and not to be 
in fear. I know a pastor today, brothers and sisters, in Hawaii who's had to involve the authorities because there's a man who's threatening harm to the congregation and to that pastor. This is real. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Listen to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1.8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. The prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 6. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. Don't fear men. They are limited in their ability and they are powerless to determine Eternity. Death is all they can, they can do under the sovereign will of God. We got to believe that. Don't fear those who kill but are powerless to determine eternity. There's a second exhortation in this, brothers and sisters. Not only don't fear those who kill but are powerless to determine eternity, secondly, fear God who has power over death and eternity. Fear God who has power over death and eternity. Look at verse 5. Jesus continues speaking to the disciples, speaking to you and me. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. He says, contrary to men, I'll show you who to fear. Okay? And notice Jesus doesn't name the one whom they should fear. You see that? Instead, he identifies the one that they should fear by what he has the supreme authority to do. The one who you should fear is the one who has power over death and eternity. So who is this one that you should fear? Well, it's, it's no mere man because Jesus prohibits in verse 4 the fear of men. So that's out the window. It's not the devil because Scripture never commands us to fear the devil. Instead, we're commanded to resist the devil. 1 Peter 5, 9, James 4, 7. And furthermore, brothers and sisters, Revelation 20, 10 says that the devil is going to be cast into the lake of fire. So it ain't the devil. So the brothers and sisters, the one whom they should fear is both lawgiver and judge. He is both lawgiver and judge. Judge, Listen to James 4.12. He is the one, rather, he is the one who established his holy law, and he is the one who has the power to judge all humanity who violate his law. 
So the one he is saying that they ought to fear is God. It's God. Right? And when Jesus is talking about fear, it's possible that he doesn't mean trepidation. He doesn't mean terror or to be afraid. He means as disciples of Christ to have a reverential awe of God. Have a high and holy regard for the Father. Okay? Have an exalted respect for God. Right? Hold in high regard the one who has authority over hell. He is both the lawgiver and the judge. Brothers and sisters, I want to let you in on something. Hell is real. Hell is real. Okay? It's, a, it's enough for us to say that hell is real because Jesus said it's real. And Jesus cannot lie. But what is hell? It's from the Greek word Gehenna. From the valley of Hinnom, which was south of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, children were burned to death as a sacrifice to the god Moloch. That was a, he was an attest, detestable idol to the Amalekites, to the Ammonites, excuse me. And if you look at scripture, look in Leviticus and other places, right? God forbade this practice, this abomination of human sacrifice. And eventually, after the practice of child sacrifices ended, Gehenna became a dumping ground for refuge, trash, animal corpses. And it had a perpetual fire. And so later, Gehenna became symbolic for the eternal, unmerciful place of torment. And it's going to be the place of torment and suffering and unmerciful punishment for the wicked. So who's going to occupy hell? Well, Revelation 19, verses 13 and 15 tell us that when Christ is seated on his glorious throne, he is going to judge, and the unrighteous are going to be cast into the eternal lake of fire. Listen to the passage. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Those whose names are not written in the book are going to be occupying the lake of fire, eternal hell. All the Christ rejectors, all the Christ deniers, all the haters of God, the haters of Christ and his church. Matthew 25, 41 says this, then Jesus will also say to those on his left, goats, separate from the sheep, which are Christ's, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You know who else is going to be 
In hell, the beast and the false prophet of the tribulation. Revelation 19.20, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and to those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. The beast and the false prophet, along with all Christ rejectors, are going to be in hell. You know who else is going to be in hell? The devil, Satan. Revelation 20.10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Eternal, unrelenting torment, conscious awareness, agony forever. No wonder Jesus says, you better fear the one who can throw people there. God has the power to render judgment. He has the authority to cast demons and Satan and the false prophet and the beast and unbelievers. Every person who disobeys the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into hell. And today we live in a society that is much more embraceable of the concept of heaven over hell. You can't have a heaven without a hell. Notice at the end of verse 5, Jesus doesn't say, fear hell. As horrific, as, as terrifying as hell is, Jesus doesn't say, fear hell. Look what he says. He says emphatically, yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. Fear the one who is sovereign over eternal hell. Fear the one who is sovereign over souls, Matthew 20, 28. Fear the one who is sovereign over death and eternity. And then he continues, and he transitions to comfort, to encouragement. Here are the reasons why you should not fear man, but fear God. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Sparrows were small cheap birds sold for food to the poor. In two cents, these copper coins, copper coins, they would be akin to pennies. And Jesus is saying that if God knows and even cares about these inconsequential creatures, how much more How much more does he value and care for you and me? Look at verse 7. Indeed, the very heads, hairs of your hair, head, excuse me, are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Hebrews 2, 6, 7 says, 
right, that he has crowned man with glory and honor. It's amazing. Verse 7, God in his omniscience, he not only knows every inconsequential creature on earth, he knows precisely every head, every hair on every head of every man and woman throughout all history. And I read somewhere, on average, there are about 100,000 hairs on the average person. That's an average. Wrap yourself around the one who knows precisely the number of each hair on all human creation, beginning with Adam. And the point is that nothing escapes his providential knowledge, his omniscience. But not only his providential knowledge, nothing escapes his providential care. And you, brothers and sisters, and me, and these disciples who he was speaking to, he cares for you, and not only does he cares for you, he values you and me more than them all. Bask in this reality when we're out evangelizing, preaching Christ to, to people, and we are tempted by the spirit of fear because of what people might think. Bask in this because the temptation of fear might emerge because of what people might say. And bask in this because of the uncertainty of even what people might do. That's what Jesus is telling them. He values us and he is intricately aware of every detail of our lives. In an article in Christianity.com by Lucy Neely Adams, the author recorded how in 1904, Mrs. Sevilla Martin was visiting a sick friend. And because the friend that she was visiting was bedridden, she lamented to Mrs. Martin that sometimes she got discouraged. But when she remembered that her heavenly father watched over each little sparrow, he would certainly watch over her. Mrs. Martin was a poet and knew that this was a perfect subject for her writing. She began to jot down ideas, and with great inspiration, the text of his eyes is on the sparrow was completed by the end of the day. And the opening of the song reads this way, and I'm not going to sing. (laughs) Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. 
His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And he watches you, and he watches me. And that song, brothers and sisters, has inspired countless Christians, countless believers for generations and generations. Let that be your song of inspiration in the moment of evangelism. Yeah, one of the biggest hindrances to preaching Christ is fear. It's fear. But this passage, I trust, is encouraging to you. It's encouraging to me. I need this passage. And I want to speak first, as I prepare to close, to unbelievers, unsaved people who may be here today. How do you know you're unsaved? How do you know your sins have not been atoned for? Because you haven't repented of your sins, as Jesus says, and you haven't trusted in the gospel. You haven't believed in the death and the burial and resurrection, and you have not been a lifelong follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at this passage, I need you to understand, you have every reason to fear. You have every reason to fear the terror of the Lord. Listen to Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 27 and 31. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You have every reason to fear. The writer of Hebrews writes this in chapter 12, verse 29, for God is a consuming fire. In the words of Jesus Christ, Mark 1.15, repent and believe in the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. Call upon him where you are right now so that you might be saved. And to my brothers and sisters, Believers in Christ, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get beyond the fear of man? How do we get beyond the fear of man? Well, this is what the psalmist said in Psalm 56, verse 4. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? You wish to overcome your fears, right? Then prayerfully deepen your trust in God and recite this psalm. Listen to the writer in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Trust in the Lord and let the world fear its own. 
This is how we get over fear. Trust in the Lord and fear him who is sovereign over soul and eternity. We live in a a world ravaged by sin and murder. But let the trust of the Lord be our strength. As we proclaim Christ in the words of Jesus, don't fear those who are powerless to determine eternity. Fear God who has power over death and eternity. Yes, I tell you, brothers and sisters, fear him. Fear him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Thank you for the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray, Father, that these not just be words of Scripture, but they be application in our lives. And we pray by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, may we not fear man, but fear the God who has authority to cast into hell, who is sovereign over souls and eternity. Help us to fear him and not men. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you.